0: Crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast.
1: I've just made a film called Police State, and everywhere it seems the police state is in the news. Now, I have to ask myself, is this some kind of an optical illusion? Is it a case where you make a film about a topic, it's preoccupied your interests. And so you've sort of put on the police state spectacles. And everywhere you look, it's police state, police state, police state. And you're somehow editing out things that are happening that are not related to the police state. But no, I don't think that's it. I think that we are living in a time where the various manifestations of the police state are pushing themselves forward, are advancing we all realize that the film is what puts it all together and actually brings it home visually, intellectually, emotionally, and in, in a way that nothing really else can. But here, uh, and I want to go through this in some depth, is a an expose in Newsweek, of all places, the title, Exclusive, Donald Trump Followers Targeted by FBI as 2024 Election Nears. Now, initially, I thought, is this some opinion piece someone is writing about their fear? No, this is apparently a a news article that uses as its sources people high up within the FBI and within the other police agencies of government. And they also talk to other people who are analysts who have been following what's going on inside the FBI and inside the Biden regime. And the whole picture is chilling because now they're coming out and saying explicitly, yeah, you know, one of our main targets is MAGA. It's Trump supporters. And we're going to be focusing on them in the lead up to the 2024 election. So I'll give you my bottom line, which is that I think this is a, this is the police state kind of coming out into the open. This is the police state basically saying, Listen, we are surveilling you. In the, in the past the police had had to hide and disguise itself and say things like, well, you know, we're above politics. We we no no, we're not interested in people's ideology, we're not interested in political convictions, we're not, not interested in peaceful demonstrations. We're not targeting people per se. We're targeting crimes and potential crimes. So, if you're plotting to rob the bank, if you're plotting to overthrow the government, if you're plotting to assassinate somebody, well, yeah, you should rightly be in the crosshairs of the FBI. But now they're saying, we are looking at ideology, we are looking at opinion, we are looking at people, and we are looking at a specific group that just happens to be perhaps the most powerful force in the Republican Party. So, you have one party, under Biden, using the police agencies of government to explicitly and publicly and consciously target the other party, or at least a large faction of that party, perhaps the predominant one. Here is the headline. The federal government believes the threat of violence and major civil disturbances around the 2024 election is so great that it has quietly created a new category of extremists that it seeks to track and counter Donald Trump's army of MAGA followers. Now, just digest that statement alone. The Trump, not just Trump, but Trump followers are now going to be, quote, tracked and countered by the FBI. And uh, this is a, a whole escalation, and, and we have to recognize it as such. The challenge for the FBI, the primary federal agency, is to pursue and prevent what it calls domestic terrorism. I like the what it calls domestic terrorism because even Newsweek now realizes that a lot of what they're calling domestic terrorism isn't maybe domestic, but it's not terrorism in any meaningful sense of the word. Let's back up for a second and let's recall what terrorists are. Well, let's look at the people here and around the world who are terrorists. The IRA, think of groups... um um, in in other countries that dress in military uniforms, they bomb buildings, they bomb banks, they take hostages. You see any of that happening in the United States? Has that occurred on the part of Trump or the MAGA followers? Not at all. Nothing like it. Uh, or in America, we had terrorism, we had domestic terrorism in the 1960s. Let's look at somebody that I've debated and that that Debbie and I have gotten to know, even if somewhat distantly, Bill Ayers. Well, Bill Ayers and his now wife, Bernadine Dorn, were domestic terrorists. What that mean? They went underground, they hid from the police, they uh, collected uh, ammunitions and explosives. They talked about, they made lists of targets, like we're going to bomb the Pentagon, we're going to bomb certain federal buildings. Uh, and, and they had justifications for it, of course, and terrorists always do. They, In the case of Bill Erdogan, it was like, listen, the US government is perpetrating more violence in Vietnam. So we are entitled to use violence here at home to stop that machine. Uh, we are allies of the North Vietnamese. So there was a sort of an idea framework behind this. But nevertheless, this is the MO of terrorist groups. And this MO is completely absent from anything happening with the MAGA movement. And yet, the MAGA people are being targeted, are being tagged, are being followed, are being tracked as terrorists. So this is a vicious police state tactic being used by the Biden administration and uh, I'm not imagining it. It's not a product of me putting on a police state lens. The movie may be coming, but the police state to some degree is here. I'm continuing my discussion of this Newsweek expose, which um, reveals how the Biden regime is targeting MAGA and Trump supporters as domestic terrorists as the 2024 election um, gets closer. Newsweek spoke to over a dozen current or former government officials who specialize in terrorism in a three-month investigation. And what you have in this investigation is the FBI now openly admitting, top officials of the FBI, that MAGA is itself a potential terrorist category, and they are viewing it as such. I mean, think about it. To the degree that you and I identify as MAGA, we are already right now in the, under the surveillance, under the eyes, under the gaze of the FBI. I mean, in my case, I assume it to be true. I've just made a film about it. Hey, by the way, Elon Musk just tweeted out the film uh, last night and said that the FBI needs a, I forget his word, thoroughgoing or systematic Uh, rebuilding or reconstruction. And, um, the, the, my trailer, which is up on my X feed, which had gosh, I think it was 3.4 million views is now, honey, what is it? Like 30 million million views. views? 30 million views as of this morning. I mean, that outstripped even my expectations and 40 million views. It's some ridiculously high number, but it's great. And thank you, Elon Musk, for helping get this word out, because the trailer alone is a kind of preview of what we are of, of the police state that is encroaching on us. So thank you for helping me to, to push that word out. And by the way, if you haven't gotten your tickets to the film, I hear there are some people who are now talking about, you know, buying out all the tickets in the theater and taking their groups and so on. Uh, I mean, I encourage this, but I think it also means that you need to get your tickets now. Don't wait till the last minute. Uh, PoliceStateFilm.net is, um, so that you have the newsweek exposé which is d- a decent news report but then you have my film which really puts the um uh, brings the the force to the to this topic well according to newsweek um the fbi has been mobilized by all these statements by prominent figures in the biden regime about the danger posed by maga starting with Biden himself. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans are are a threat to the very soul of this country. MAGA Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now and into the future. Now, no one is questioning elections being held now or in the future, uh, without knowledge of what are the measures being taken to secure the vote and make sure that the votes are legitimate. Obviously, if there are no guardrails in place, obviously, if there's blatant cheating, obviously, if there are ma- manifest and, and manifold opportunities to cheat, people are going to go, wait a minute, that's not a fair election. And, and it's almost like Biden is saying that to say that Uh, either about 2020 or 2022 or 2024 is somehow to make yourself put yourself into a terrorist category. I mean, how reprehensible, how disgraceful is that? Similar uh, statements from the Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Um, attacks by domestic terrorists are attacks on all of us collectively aimed at rending the fabric of our democratic society and driving us apart. So, Apparently, we are driving people apart, not him. The police state tactics being used by the regime are not divisive. Those are, in fact, unifying. And I suppose in some twisted way, if you think about it from the police state mentality and also from a socialist or communist mentality, if you shut down all dissident voices and you lock up everybody who is not sort of uh, with the program, You do have a unified society. Why? Because you've created one. You have thinned out everybody else. You've taken them out of the picture. Their votes don't count. You block them up. So this is um, as I say, scary stuff. And evidently the FBI has added a new category to its uh to the groups that it monitors, people who are quote, in furtherance of political or social agendas. So, what you have here is defining terrorism down. Terrorism used to be you're plotting or you're doing actual violence. Then they decided, well, we're not going to call it terrorism necessarily. We're going to call it extremism because extremism could lead to terrorism, could lead to violence. And what's extreme? Well, the beauty of extremism as a label is we get to define the center. We say the center is right here. And so, if you're Uh, not close to the center, you're extreme. Extreme, of course, from our point of view. We're not extreme. We're actually the center itself. We define what's extreme. So, this is a manipulation of language. It's a a manipulation of political categories. And then we say, anybody who's trying to further a political and social agenda, basically all our political rivals, all our political opponents, they're the extreme ones. They're the ones who threaten democracy. So, in other words, you redefine democracy as not a choice between between two parties which is occurring within democracy rather you redefine democracy so that your political opponents are against democracy and you are somehow or at least you have proclaimed yourself the great defender of democracy I'm continuing my discussion of the Newsweek exposé that Trump and Trump followers the so-called MAGA movement are now explicitly being targeted, tracked by the FBI. What a, what a pass we have come to as a country. And you see the extreme urgency of this film, Police State, which blows the lid uh, off of all of this. Now, Newsweek says that Trump and MAGA are not mentioned explicitly in the FBI documents. Uh, But they say government insiders concede that, yes, that is the group we are talking about. Quote, what other name could we use, asks one FBI officer who speaks with Newsweek and says and defends what he says is merely a record keeping change. Um, And he says, so, yes, in practical terms, it refers to MAGA, though the carefully constructed language is wholly nonpartisan. MAGA is the target we won't say that MAGA is the target because then we're going to have to explain how one side of the political aisle could possibly be identified as an FBI target. Isn't this straight out police state tactics? So they go, let's not call it that, but everybody knows it's that. And we certainly will clearly communicate within the FBI that it is, it is that. So here's another senior intelligence official who requested anonymity. We've crossed the Rubicon. Trump's army constitutes the greatest threat of violence domestically, politically. That's the reality and the problem set. That's what the FBI as a law enforcement agency has to deal with. Now, this statement requires a lot of evidence uh, and backing and where is that evidence? Where is the evidence that Trump supporters constitute the greatest threat of domestic violence? Is it because they have done the greatest amount of domestic violence? No. Is it because you have manuals and statements from them that they are planning to or intend to do domestic violence? No. Uh, so what is the basis for the statement? To my knowledge, there is no basis for it at all. This is a case where they simply declare it to be true. Biden says it's true. Merrick Garland says it's it's true, Christopher Ray says it's true, and then all the groupies, all the apparatchiks are then moved into line to act as if it were, as if it were true. The FBI does uh, something that is um, uh, a terminology within the FBI. It's called an assessment. An assessment is a formal term. It's not the usual, well, I, you know. I made an assessment of the as I crossed the street. Um, no, this is a a file an assessment means you open up a file we're doing an evaluation we're we're studying a particular phenomenon and it basically you you don't do that unless you suspect wrongdoing uh you suspect that somebody is uh going to commit a crime uh going to unleash some kind of act of violence and now you're going to look further at them look further at their background it's a form of domestic surveillance of domestic spying, and essentially the f b i is announcing through Newsweek, um, and um, that we are now escalating our assessments of MAGA and uh, and Trump supporters. Now, how should we respond to this? I don't think we should respond to this with uh, any kind of, well, a little bit of rational trepidation or caution is in order. And uh, and I'm very con- uh, conscious of that. I mean, I don't send out a text or uh, even make a private comment in a way, except recognizing that, you know what, somebody could be trying to record this, somebody could be trying to make something of this. So we're not going to give them ammunition. They have already told us they're looking for it. and um, And so this is a, we got to say, it's not... At one time, I would have found it so preposterous if you had talked about, you know, an American KGB, an American Stasi, which was the East German uh, secret police, or the the hated uh, and infamous uh, Gestapo under the Nazis. But uh, we do have a Gestapo now in the United States, and uh, it is called the Federal Bureau of Investigation. One of the really striking things to me about re-reading Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago is I am seeing more direct parallels between the Gulag and our own society than I did when I first read the work. Because I thought that, look, Solzhenitsyn is talking about a full-fledged police state, Uh, We are not there yet, so it is only by some stretching or at least looking to the future, maybe with foreboding, that we can see the connection. But no, the connection is actually much more vivid and much more, well, frightening. He starts off by talking in this section about criminal code of 1926, and he talks about a single article of all the 140 articles, and this is called Article 58. Now, this is very analogous, by the way, to how the Biden regime has taken single Clauses in the federal laws, the huge accordion book of federal laws, like obstruction of justice or even obstructing a federal proceeding, and then use that as a battering ram to go after people and lock them up for long periods of time for what, if someone did this on the left, would be just a complete nothing. So um, here says Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he's reading the, uh, he's now uh, putting forward the Article 58 propaganda or agitation containing an appeal for the overthrow, subverting, or weakening of the Soviet power and the dissemination or preparation or possession of literary materials of similar content. And Solzhenitsyn says, in peacetime, the minimum penalty uh, is set for this, but there's no upper limit. There's no Maximum penalty. In other words, you could go to prison for life. Um, and then he tells a vignette that's become very famous from the Gulag Archipelago. He talks about a district party conference that is underway in Moscow province. At the conclusion of the conference, he writes a tribute to Comrade Stalin was called for. Of course, everyone stood up, uh, just as everyone had leapt to his feet during the conference at every mention of his name. Yes, Solzhenitsyn, being a little sarcastic, just mention Stalin, everyone jumps up with enthusiasm. The small hall echoed with stormy applause, rising to an ovation for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. And then he says people were getting a little tired. People, their palms were getting sore. Their raised arms were already aching. The older people were panting from exhaustion. And he goes, the whole thing was becoming kind of silly because even people who liked Stalin... uh, even though people who adored Stalin found this a little ridiculous. However, says Solzhenitsyn, asking the key question, who would dare to be the first to stop, to stop applauding? He says the secretary of the district party committee, in other words, the top communist in attendance, could have done it. He was standing on the platform. He had called for the ovation, but, says Solzhenitsyn, he was a newcomer. He had taken the place of a man who had been arrested he was afraid. He looked around the room. He could see that the NKVD men, the the, the secret police, were standing in the hall applauding and watching to see who quit first. And then he says in this small obscure hall, the applause went on six, seven, eight minutes. And he goes, now it's a problem. People were really getting exhausted, but everyone was scared. Nobody wanted to be the first to stop applauding. And then he says, After 11 minutes, when the whole thing had gotten totally out of hand, the director of the paper factory, this is the venue for the event, assumed a business-like expression and sat down in the seat. And he says, and oh, a miracle took place. Where had the universal, uninhibited, indescribable enthusiasm gone to a man, everybody else stopped dead and sat down. They had been saved. The squirrel had been smart enough to jump off his revolving wheel. This is the beauty of Solzhenitsyn's writing. And he says that was, however, how they discovered who the independent people were. Who's they? The Soviet authorities. This is how they figured out these are the troublemakers, the people who sort of lead the group, the first person to sort of get off the the treadmill. And that was how they went about eliminating them. That same night the factory director was arrested, they easily pasted 10 years on him on the pretext of something quite different. Again, think of the similarity here. We can't get somebody for this. Let's go get him for that. Here's uh, Letitia James. I want to get Trump on a criminal offense. I can't get him. Didn't do anything really. All right, that's okay. We'll get him on the civil charge. We'll try to destroy his company. So you find a different pretext. But after he had signed Form 206, the final document of the interrogation, his interrogator reminded him, don't ever be the first to stop applauding. So this is the lesson of the police state. And that is that everything that you think and feel gets suppressed. You are supposed to have artificial feelings. If you have um, a grocery store, and I mentioned this in a different context from Vaclav Havel, you got to put up a big sign, workers of the world unite. It's it's a false slogan. It doesn't represent your thoughts. You're doing it for a completely different reason, really to, as a, as a mark of fear, you're doing it to say, I'm a conformist. I'll follow the authority. And similarly here, applause is not because you genuinely internally love Stalin. It's rather that this is what is expected of you. And if you don't go along, they are, there are eyes looking at you. Now, today, those eyes may be electronic. In the days of Solzhenitsyn, it was just a bunch of guys standing in the back room. Uh, but either way, uh, it is a, it is a powerful message to the citizenry. Don't take us on because we have ways of dealing with you. We have ways of disposing of you. Don't be the first to stop applauding. Subscribe
0: to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.
2: J. Edgar Hoover was the infamous director of the FBI and its predecessor organizations where he worked for 48 years under eight different presidents and it was only after his death in 1972 that the depths of his corruption was revealed. Hoover kept dirt on everyone he could and used that dirt to manipulate people in whatever way he wanted. He was able to use the FBI to influence not just politicians, but also Hollywood Studios as well. He was able to have various planned films canceled or the scripts changed to prevent the portrayal of the FBI in a negative light, including preventing John Wayne from starring in a TV show titled The FBI, which ran from 1965 to 1974 because John Wayne was a member of the John Birch Society, which Hoover despised. The John Birch Society, if you're not familiar with them, is perhaps the first organization created to expose globalism and communist infiltration of the United States. You don't hear much about them these days, but in the late 1950s and 60s, they were quite popular among patriots, and they're credited with starting the anti-New World Order movement. J. Edgar Hoover also targeted anti-war rock and roll musicians like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and particularly John Lennon. In the 1960s, Lennon released an album containing protest songs denouncing the Vietnam War, which enraged the establishment, so J. Edgar Hoover tried to get him deported over a marijuana possession charge that he had received in England sometime earlier. He also worried that John Lennon's outspokenness threatened Richard Nixon's reelection chances. Hoover's files also reveal how ruthless President Roosevelt was. It was believed that his wife Eleanor was having an affair, and after this was investigated privately by the FBI and pretty much confirmed. FDR wanted all the agents who worked on the case killed so they wouldn't spread rumors about his wife's supposed infidelities. The files reveal that he personally ordered all of the agents who worked on the case to be sent to the South Pacific during World War II to fight against the Japanese, quote, until they were killed. Historians admit the rampant corruption led by J. Edgar Hoover, but of course the FBI claims to have made changes to prevent such abuses from continuing, which we all know is a lie, but... Looking back at how much influence he was able to have decades ago should send chills up one's spine when thinking about what is possible with today's technology. Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer made an ominous threat against President Trump, saying the intelligence agencies have six ways from Sunday to get back at him because he dared question their integrity and... Certainly they did, so they fabricated evidence to get warrants to spy on Donald Trump and his associates, and then charged many of them with invented crimes, and even used these same intelligence agency dirty tricks to impeach Trump over a phone call that he had with Ukraine's president when he was asking about Joe and Hunter's corrupt dealings in the country. A truly Orwellian scheme, later admittedly conducted by the FBI for decades, is COINTELPRO, an acronym for Counterintelligence Program, which illegally investigated and disrupted political activists, religious organizations, civil liberty groups, anti-war groups, and others that were deemed problematic by the establishment. Martin Luther King Jr. and other leaders of the civil rights movement and those associated with the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, were targeted as well as groups protesting the Vietnam War, including many college students. J. Edgar Hoover had ordered agents to expose, disrupt, discredit, or otherwise neutralize the leaders and activities of such groups. It's important to understand that most of the targets of COINTELPRO weren't doing anything illegal at all. And they were just trying to change society for the better by encouraging civil rights or protesting the Vietnam War. But that wasn't what the establishment wanted and it was disrupting the social order. Agents involved in the program did a lot of illegal, underhanded and dirty tricks to disrupt their targets, including mailing forged letters to leaders of organizations claiming to be from someone else with accusations that someone's wife was cheating on them, illegal wiretaps, spreading false and slanderous rumors about people, Frame-ups, vandalism, and more were common tactics still used by the deep state today, of course. In 2013, word spread like wildfire around the world that a former NSA contractor with a high-level security clearance had stolen thousands of classified documents detailing the technical capabilities of the National Security Agency. 30-year-old Edward Snowden fled the country to avoid imprisonment and was given asylum in Russia. And the cache of classified documents that he obtained revealed the shocking details of what COINTELPRO, Had morphed into. The Snowden leaks proved that the NSA was not just illegally conducting mass surveillance of Americans and virtually everyone around the world without warrants and clearly violating the Fourth Amendment, but they also proved the government's protocols extended far beyond ordinary eavesdropping. Laptops are routinely intercepted by UPS during shipment after being purchased from online retailers like Amazon and then fitted with special hardware, including microcellular modems so that Their hard drives could be accessed even if the computers aren't connected to Wi-Fi or the internet in any way. This operation is called interdiction, by the way. We also learned that the government has the ability to manipulate online polls on websites, a program called underpass, they restrict YouTube videos from going viral or have them removed for phony terms of service violations. That program is called Silverload. And if they want, they can make certain videos, receive tons of views, and give the appearance that they've gone viral. That's code name Slipstream. They intercept millions of webcam feeds and scam the people chatting over them with facial recognition systems to identify them. That's Operation Optic Nerve. They collect nudes and other compromising photos of people so that they can be blackmailed or publicly humiliated by releasing them. They call that love ant or love intelligence, and they have the ability to record and store every phone call in the entire world. Not just a record of who called who, but the actual audio of the calls using Project Mystic. They can also spoof anyone's email address and send emails under any identity, not to mention spoof any phone number. This is just a sample of their capabilities, and of course, this is all Done under the umbrella of national security. Edward Snowden confirmed that the government has what he called the turnkey tyranny power. And with the flip of a switch, they could target anyone anywhere in the world. Not only can they physically locate you and bug you through cell phones and webcams in the area, but The deep state operatives can find out everything about a target from your most intimate communications sent through text messages or emails, to stealing your personal photos from your phone or your cloud storage, to uncovering health problems, shopping habits, eating habits, political views, friends, family, acquaintances personal finances, gun ownership, etc., etc. This power is so incredible that no man can resist abusing it. And it's how the deep state keeps politicians in line and prevents them from asking too many questions. When he was on Tulsi Gabbard's podcast in December, 2022, Tucker Carlson said this. There are members of Congress who are controlled by the intel agencies. I'm not speculating on this. You know, I, I lived there for 35 years. I know right. this. I had a very high-ranking, very high-ranking member of the House Intel Committee tell me at dinner at a restaurant in Washington when he'd been drinking, we got to talk about this. And I said, "Oh, I'll text you. He goes, I I can't text. And I said, why is that? And he goes, well, because NSA reads my text. And I said, NSA reads it. You're the head guy on the Intelligence Committee. You're their boss. You're providing oversight in our constitutional system. He's like, yeah, but you know, they're still spying on me. Sadly, this shouldn't be a surprise, it should be expected. But even long before Edward Snowden detailed what's happening and provided the public with the actual names of the programs, Some people knew about Echelon and Carnivore, although that doesn't make it any less disturbing. Carnivore monitors all internet traffic, by the way, and has since at least 1997. And long before that, Echelon, a SIGINT collection system or signals intelligence, had been capturing and monitoring all electronic signals like telephone calls and satellite communications. There had been rumors of Echelon and its capabilities in the 1980s, and in 1983, intelligence expert James Banford discussed such technology in his book, The Puzzle Palace. Then, in 1998, the European Parliament published a report titled An Appraisal of Technologies of Political Control that showed the existence of the massive spy system, which would later be known as. Echelon. This system is so powerful. For decades, and even today, some people don't believe that it's capable of doing what it does. Echelon monitors millions of phone calls in multiple languages at the same time and can actually pick out specific people's voices from among the millions of calls. This is called a voice print, and if a specific individual is targeted for whatever reason, if they talk on a phone, whether it's on a payphone, on the side of the street, or a complete stranger's cell phone, with Within seconds, their voice print will be detected and the system will flag that conversation for further analysis. Equally amazing is Echelon's ability to detect strings of specific keywords from the millions of conversations occurring. For example, if two people are having a conversation and they use several words in succession that have been flagged by the system, then that conversation will be detected by Echelon for further analysis to determine whether or not the people were talking about a recent news event. Or if they're potentially dangerous individuals who are planning on, say, harming the president. Although if someone was planning something like that against President Trump, then they'd probably look the other way or reach out to them and offer their help. But that's a whole other story. If this seems too complicated, then think again. Google can find a specific set of keywords out of the billions and billions of web pages in a fraction of a second after you search for them. Also, back in 2009, the Shazam app was released for iPhone that allows people to instantly identify the name of practically any song that they hear, whether it's on the radio or playing on a TV commercial. It doesn't matter if there's background noise or people talking while it's detecting the song, the app still works. The History Channel aired a show called Echelon, the most secret spy system back in 2003, 20 years ago, that included interviews with James Bamford and even General Michael Hayden, the director of the National Security Agency at the time. A Canadian intelligence analyst who worked for Canada's equivalent of the NSA admitted
0: this. While I was at CSE, A classic example, a lady had been to a school play the night before, and her son was in the school play, and she thought he did a a lousy job. Next morning, she was talking on the telephone to her friend, and she said to her friend something like this, so Danny really bombed last night. Just like that. The computer spit that conversation out. The analyst, erring on the side of caution, he listed that lady and her phone number in the database as a possible terrorist.
2: And you may recall in the 1998 thriller Enemy of the State, Gene Hackman's character makes a comment about this technology saying this. Fort Meade
0: has 18 acres of mainframe computers underground.
2: You're talking to your wife on the phone, you use the word bomb, president, Allah, any of 100 keywords." Computer recognizes it, automatically records it, red flags it for analysis. That was 20 years ago. Most of the viewers thought that this was just a Hollywood fantasy, but the writer was obviously aware of Echelon. And a lot of the technology in Enemy of the State was based on actual systems. Obviously, Echelon is used for political spying and blackmail, but also industrial espionage as well. It's believed that in the 1990s, the system was used to illegally spy on a German company called Enercon in order to steal their trade secrets that they were using to build wind turbines. A Belgian company called the Learnout and Hospi had trade secrets stolen from them by American intelligence operatives involving speech recognition technology, they were working on because their executives were being illegally monitored by Echelon as well. You can imagine how else this system can be abused. Deep state operatives could look for keywords spoken from specific people to determine if they were aware of a sensitive issue, scandal, or crime. They could easily implement the search for keywords for Bilderberg Group, the Bohemian Grove, or cross-reference them with the voice prints of every member of Congress so that If any of them were to mention these words during a telephone conversation, then that conversation could be flagged and later analyzed to see what exactly they're saying about such groups and maybe give them a little talk to encourage them to cease and desist. George Orwell wrote in 1984 that, quote, every citizen, or at least every citizen important enough to be worth watching, could be kept for 24 hours a day under the eyes of the police. Is a certain senator Planning on raising the issue of the Bilderberg Group on the floor of the Senate, blowing their decades of cover? If so, then a blackmail, intimidation, or coercion scheme would likely be put in place to prevent this security breach and save the Bilderberg Group from the unwanted attention such public comments would bring them. And sadly, none of the brand name conservative talk show hosts or political pundits want to bring it up either. They're either too afraid to be called a conspiracy theorist or Worse. Maybe they're corporate controllers, just don't want them to direct their audience down the Bilderberg rabbit hole. I've gone deep down the rabbit hole, however, and if you want to hear all about it, then order my book, The Bilderberg Group Facts and Fiction, in paperback from Amazon.com, or download the ebook from Kindle iBooks, Nook, or Google Play. As many of you know, my books are a lot more in depth and hardcore than my videos, which I have to tone down a bit for obvious reasons, but the info is in the books, as clear as day, and fully sourced. So head on over to Amazon.com or click the link in the description below, and check them out.
0: Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. I have Dinesh D'Souza, the author, the podcaster, the filmmaker... On video and audio with me right now, he has a new movie coming out in late October, and it's uh, Police State. The website is police, policestatefilm.net. dot net. I saw the trailer. I saw the trailer, and it is uh, it is classic Dinesh D'Souza excellence. So, Dinesh, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us the the reason you made the film?
1: Well, Dennis, there's so much that is troubling that's going on in our society around us. And I tried to think to myself, what really has changed? What really has changed is that I came to an America, this is a generation ago as a teenager, and uh, it was an America in which we had basic liberties that could be taken for granted. Now, a lot of them, although not all of them, are spelled out in the Bill of Rights the right to free speech, the right to conscience, religious freedom, the right to assemble, to petition the government for grievances, the right to equal treatment under the law, equal justice under the law. And these rights are not supposed to be open to political negotiation. Majorities are not allowed to override these rights. And that was the America I came to. Fast forward to now and I suddenly realized every single one of those rights is in serious, and I mean serious jeopardy. And so a lot of the rhetoric that formed my early career, we are the free world, uh, I'm here for the American dream. I suddenly am looking at a different America and, and a startling question pops into my mind, are we becoming a police state? Are we becoming the same as the unfree societies that we have long deplored? And that's the central question driving this film. Is the United States moving steadily, perhaps inexorably toward a police state?
0: I wrote a piece uh, during the the lockdowns. Uh, It was titled Dress Rehearsal for a Police State. Do you think that that was overstated?
1: No, although I think that the lockdowns, January 6th, these are the, let's call them the Reichstag fire pretexts for creating police state rules that you then kind of refuse to uh, undo It's almost like you're establishing wartime measures that uh, even after the war is over you keep in place and um and this is what's going on and what's really scary about it is it's not just happening from the state it's also happening in the private sector and what i mean by this is that traditionally police states are run in a centralized fashion with a dictator at the helm a propaganda ministry that tells the media what to do Censorship that's established by a Goebbels or by a Stalinist minister. But here we have a different situation. A lot of the police state is in the private sphere, the media, uh, the educational institutions, which have become engines of indoctrination, digital platforms that are actively colluding with the government to enforce censorship. So we're dealing with a more widespread and in some respects, scarier phenomenon.
0: That, that's a very important point, the collusion of the private sector along with the public sector. Do you see any signs? I, I'm asked this all the time, and I, I never fully know what to say. Maybe it's not, not knowable. Are there signs of a pushback? And I'll, or I'll, I'll even be more specific what percentage of america fears a movement to a police state in your opinion
1: now fortunately i can answer that question and it's because just about a week ago i went to the guys at the rasmussen survey and i told them i'm making this film police state they had done a poll uh, last year on 2000 mules and so i told them you, when you do your national surveys do you mind asking a couple of questions of people? ask them if they fear that America's becoming a police state, and ask them if they think that the FBI is the guardian of, or a threat to, our basic liberties. And so they did. And those results are out. And amazingly, 72% of people say that they are, quote, very concerned or somewhat concerned that we are moving toward a police state. And only about 25% say, no, that's, that's not something that they're worried about. And, and I kind of laugh when I see that number, because I say to myself, Those are the people that are helping to build the police state.
0: That's exactly right. All right, people should go to policestatefilm.net, another critical film from Dinesh D'Souza. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors faced the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart. But they took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. The story uncovers those who have sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they believe in. Rediscover why the church is essential and how we can prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. You should see the movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at salemnow.com. That's Essential Church, salemnow.com, streaming at salemnow.com. Vanessa D'Souza has a film coming out at the end of October Police State. And the uh, the website is policestatefilm dot net. He he is obviously as shocked as I am that such a film would would even need to be made. You're you're reciting the Rasmussen poll, so I want to want to understand this brand new poll says seventy percent plus of Americans are worried that what
1: that America is moving toward a police state. And, and they define what a police state is. They talk about mass surveillance, censorship, uh, political targeting, the existence of political prisoners. I mean, the things that we would identify as a police state if we were describing another society. And so Rasmussen puts those forward and says, are those things happening here? Are we heading in that direction? And really, three out of four Americans say, yep, we are.
0: So let me understand then. That means that a serious percentage of Democrats think that we're moving toward a police state in order to get to that number, correct?
1: Correct. It's got to be probably... Okay, so...
0: Sorry, go on.
1: No, I was saying that that just by the math, the number of Democrats has got to be around 20 to 25%. This is assuming that virtually all Republicans... Yeah, exactly.
0: So, So it's probably, you know, 30%. So... How do you understand that about a third, if the poll is accurate, about one-third of the people who vote for the party instituting the police state will continue to vote for it? Where do they think the police state is coming from, Republicans?
1: This is a key point, Dennis, and this is a little bit of a surprise because we hear this, but we don't take it seriously, and that is that the left is telling its own constituency that we are building the police state. This is really why whenever they use the word Trump, they always use the word authoritarian or fascist. The idea here is that uh, Trump poses a singular menace, but more than that, they define freedom in a somewhat different way. To them, freedom is uh, the freedom of controlling your own body, namely abortion rights the freedom of someone to transition from one gender to another, and so their argument is that Republicans throughout the country, uh, DeSantis in Florida, for example, are threatening these types of freedom. So they're making the argument that the police state is coming from the right, and so it may be that there are some Democrats who go, oh yeah, there is a police state, and of course that's why we have to make sure that Trump is not on the ballot next year.
0: So does that poll, in light of that, uh, give one uh, reason to think that there is a legitim- th- th- that the legitimate fear, which I have and you have, of a police state, is is more than half of this country? If 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 a, if thirty percent of, of Democrats think the police state is coming from the right. And every single conservative and Republican thinks it's coming from the left. What is the gain?
1: Well, I think this is how I look at it. You know, I started in this film to ask the question, are we becoming a police state? And then it occurred to me that this is a question on which a lot of liberals and conservatives agree, except they point the fingers at each other. And so the way I framed the film is, all right, so who's right Well, we can only answer who's right by answering a couple of other questions. Number one, what is a police state? Number two, how does it operate? Number three, who's organizing it? And number four, who's in charge? If you answer those questions, then you know whether the police state is being run by the right or by the left. And so that's really what the movie does. It takes you into the bowels of the police state. It has a lot of informants, whistleblowers, people with inside knowledge, And then I also feature a lot of ordinary people in the movie who have found themselves at the receiving end of the police state. And I think that's important, Dennis, because there are going to be people who say, well, listen, you know, I'm not Trump and I didn't go inside the Capitol on January 6th and I pay my taxes. So I'm never going to have the FBI come smashing down my door. And that person could not be more wrong. And this movie is intended to show them that.
0: How do you think the average FBI agent will react to your film?
1: I think the problem, and this is a problem of of bureaucracy, and it's a problem that we see in all police states, police states rely on recruiting good people to do very bad things. And they do it by framing the very bad things in very bureaucratic, mundane ways, and then setting up very complex bureaucratic measurements of advancement, Uh, and career success that are tied to achieving these goals. And the goals are always framed benignly, Uh, fighting disinformation, upholding the law. That's why we're going after Trump, Dinesh, because no one is above the law, or or upholding democracy. We got to do this stuff. It may be distasteful, but we got to save democracy by going after these white supremacists. And so what you have is an ideological camouflage the police state is marching behind the benign banners of law and freedom and democracy.
0: That's exactly right. I'm, I'm hesitating because it's the most painful part of all of this. Like you, I believe we have political prisoners for the first time in American history, certainly modern American history. What does your film do to address that?
1: The film has a... So out of ninety minutes there 's about twenty five minutes that focuses on january sixth but in a in a kind of a fresh way because we have to understand January sixth a little differently than simply uh, the rhetoric that comes out of out of both sides because it, it, on the one hand you 've got the rhetoric of insurrection on the other hand you 've got you 've got a bunch of guys who are just uh, upset about the election and the problem with these two points of view is that neither can make sense of the other, so there needs to be a sort of Enlarged viewpoint, if you will, that makes sense of the way both sides think about this. Um, and in any event, we we really focus in on January 6 because I agree with you. Apart from wartime, we have not had these kinds of uh, we have not had political prisoners in this way in this country's history. And look, when people talk about the police state, all right, hold, you know, f- hold, it's hold that hold that point, Thrown hold, off of yeah. YouTube. Hold on one it's, sec. Hold,
0: hold that point. I want to get everybody to your website. PoliceStateFilm.net. We (music) return. The Nesha is coming out with a new film in theaters at the end of October. Police State. That's the title. You could cry, you could weep, that it is an accurate depiction of what is happening because of the left. And the left owning the media, as they do, and the educational apparatus have been able to say the threat to your liberty comes from the right, which I said the, day, the next day it happened when they called January 6th an insurrection. I said they would use it like the Rostock fire was used by the Nazis to suppress liberty. I was not comparing them to Nazis, I was comparing the use of an event to suppress rights. I have been proven right tragically. There are now political prisoners. I have uh, talked to one in prison. I have mentioned another who is now in solitary confinement because he gave a uh, an interview to Newsmax while in prison. There is video of him in prison. John Strand is the man, this video of him in prison, in, in, in prison, excuse me, in the Capitol, and he did nothing wrong, nothing. But he would not take a plea agreement because he's a religious Christian and won't lie. And he knew that if he pled guilty, that would be lying. So the the D'Souza film could not come out at a, at a more appropriate time, unfortunately so you were talking to me about january 6 the use of the insurrection term etc
1: i wanted to make the point and we make a number of points but i'll focus on one of them here and that is the bitter irony that right after 9 11 the bush administration asked for really asked the american people give us all these new police powers It's not enough for us to go after the bad guys who did this. In fact, hey, they're all dead. Let's go after the next guy who's going to do this. And so to do that, we need massive surveillance. We need to be able to get into people's bank accounts and their phones. We need to be able to... Uh, infiltrate their organizations and perhaps even help them along so that right before they can carry out the plot our inside people will bust it so the FBI and all the other police agencies of government let's remember Department of Homeland Security they're ten times bigger than the FBI they're actively involved in all this so the FBI and the police agencies kind of perfected this routine of right. how do we go after suspected islamic terrorists and you and i Dennis, so that set it up concern. all right
0: listen we got to do we got to do more of this uh, i i want everybody in america to see your film go to police statefilm.net thank you dinesh d'souza we'll do a part two obviously
1: i look forward to it